From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. 99 bags of cannabis on the wall, 99 bags of cannabis. If one of those bags of cannabis should happen to fall, there'll be 98 bags of cannabis on the wall. Okay, maybe I should admit it. I'm a little high right now. But that shouldn't be a surprise to you if you've been here before. And if you have, welcome back. If this is your first time, that could be a bit of a surprise. But it's an example of what you might find happens here. (laughs) The Cannabis Podcast is a podcast dedicated to a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time. And let me remind you that this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. And this episode, well, I have an interview with Paul Weaver, who is director and head of cannabis for Boston Beer. They're making an entry into the infused beverage market. Their first entry into that market is in Canada, and we're going to have a talk about that. Plus, we had a story a few episodes back about a group of cannabis stores in British Columbia launching an action against the provincial government for not fairly representing the laws on Indigenous land. It raised quite a stink, and a lot of people saw it as as a racist action without really realizing the content of what they were discussing. That's been cleared up a little bit this week because the Williams Lake First Nation has come forward in support of that action and with a really, really good explanation about why the provincial government's examples that they have set in relation to actions on Indigenous land are just so wrong and so unfair. So that story's coming up. Plus, we've talked before about the excise tax, how the excise tax being applied to every single gram of cannabis sold is killing the cannabis industry. Well, it's making a lot of money for government. We have a story from Okanagan Z on that. And of course, we are going to stop on Cultivar Corner. We're going to Pemberton for Coast Mountain Cannabis and some delicious pure cake skunk. Mm -mm -mm. All of that and more on episode 99 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we get too far in, let me stop and say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. It, It really does matter to me. I truly appreciate that you're along for the ride. And I also wanted to offer some other thanks you know how this industry has grown. We, you know, we've started off what three and a half years ago, and it's getting better. There are problems, certainly, but we're getting better at this whole game. And one of the problems that we had was the customer service that we were receiving from all of the various cannabis store uh, companies. I mean, they had their hands tied. It was really difficult for them to offer any kind of resolution to anybody. And it seems the industry has kind of figured some of that out, and. Whether or not there's more leniency or more, I think there's more just understanding is how I perceive it. So here's what happened to me. The growing season hasn't started very robustly here. (laughs) Boy, is that putting it mildly. This is the first year that we have had seed failures. Uh, Failures after germinating and, and putting them in the ground. And seeds just not popping. 
it's been a very dismal start to the year. We have, I think, three plants that are in the ground, and even they aren't doing too well. <laughs> but that's another story, and, and I'm not yet ready to tell all of that story. But the point here is the seeds failed. So we had time. I decided to buy some more seeds, and we'll just replace them. So I did. I think I actually went on to BC Cannabis stores just because it was late at night and I wanted to get it done and I wanted to have them here. And I picked up some AK-47 auto seeds from 34th Street Seed Company. Got them fairly quickly. We did our usual trick. We have a standard methodology, as, as most of us do, and I think many of us, it's the same. A couple paper towels or napkins layered with the seeds in the middle and keep those napkins moist until the seeds start to pop. It's worked 85, 90, 95% of the time. <sighs> so in one set of seeds, again, they all popped. The problem with those originated when we actually put it in the ground. Now to replace those, I got some other seeds and it was those seeds that didn't pop. When I got those AK-47 autos, we put them through the usual stuff. One popped in about three days, and then the other four just sat there. Didn't do anything for two, I think three weeks is when I kind of gave up. So if you're not aware, and I'm sure you are, but let me point it out anyways, every cannabis package that you purchase in Canada Somewhere on that label, there's both a phone number and an email. And we should all be using those email addresses and phone numbers much more often when we have problems with product. Because if we don't identify what the problems are, they're not going to get a chance to fix it and it's not going to get better. So you're doing yourself a disservice if you have a problem with the product and you don't do anything about it. Now I'm I can walk the walk here as well as the talk to talk because after that three weeks of those four seeds not doing anything, I called the, and it wasn't an 800 number either. <laughs> There's a point of political comment. It'd be nice if it was an 800 number. <laughs> Turns out that the distributor of 34 Street Seed Company is a company called ANC Cannabis, ANCCannabis.com. And that was the number that I dialed. Got into their phone system, ended up leaving a message, expressed the problem that I'd had these seeds that hadn't popped, and even though we had had tremendous success over the years, I left a voicemail message, and I finished that voicemail message intentionally with, oh, and I also run a podcast, and I'll probably talk about this. I got a call back within an hour. Now, I don't know if it's because I said that I have a podcast or whether I would have just gotten that service. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything and found out that I'll, that'll be an experiment for future. <laughs> but James, my man, uh, he contacted me from ANC within that hour, uh, wanted some further information. So I connected up with him, gave him a call back. He said, well, we'd like to verify that, you know, you, you've done everything that you can do to make sure those seeds pop. So I explained what we had done. And at the end of that, he said, yep, you, you pretty well did everything that we would have. So I have to say I was really pleased. 
James made me whole once more. And really impressed with the customer service, really impressed with how prompt it happened. And that's a good sign. That's a good sign that our industry is getting stronger from that perspective. Even though I have a story a little bit later on about some issues with some weakness in the industry. But that certainly exemplifies to me that the folks at ANC take customer service very seriously. And I thank you for that. From the Cannabis Infused Studio in the Clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And we're going to stratcan.com for our first story, this one written by David Brown. Some BC First Nation leaders say they have become frustrated with the lackluster enforcement of provincial rules for cannabis businesses operating on First Nations land. Leaders with Williams Lake First Nation, WLFN, which operates four cannabis stores as well as a microcultivation facility in BC's interior region, say they are concerned with the unlevel playing field created by the province's policy of not enforcing provincial cannabis regulations for businesses operating on First Nations land. WLFN is extremely concerned about the ongoing proliferation of unregulated cannabis businesses on First Nations land, says Kirk Dressler, the Director of Legal and Corporate Services with the WFLN and the CEO of both Nations Unity Cannabis and Sugarcane Cannabis. Although many assume that businesses that operate on First Nations land are Indigenous-owned and benefit the communities, Dressler argues the truth is much less rosy. Many if not most of these businesses, are owned and operated by non-Indigenous individuals who are exploiting the protection afforded by an assertion of sovereignty with respect to First Nation reserve lands. Most of these unregulated businesses have no standards in place for testing, no systems for keeping records, and no monitoring of any kind to ensure that products aren't being sold to youth and children. And disturbingly, there's often a link to organized crime. Although WLFN did not participate in a recent lawsuit from 14 different BC cannabis retailers, they say they sympathize with the intent of the suit and share the same frustrations expressed by those businesses who argue the province has failed to uphold their own rules and regulations. They've also recently sent a letter to the BC government outlining their concerns with the lack of enforcement. WLFN is not surprised that retailers in the Okanagan have taken the drastic step of commencing legal action against the province of British Columbia, continued Dressler in an email to Stratcan. Like the plaintiffs in that case, WLFN has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal cannabis retail infrastructure in the Okanagan and has lost hundreds of thousands of dollars more as a result of the way the province is operationalizing its legal framework. Dressler argues that if the government is going to seek to help First Nations in the cannabis space, they should be better assuring those operating within the legal framework rather than turning a blind eye to those operating outside of it. To be clear on our line of thinking, the province has previously and repeatedly maintained that provincial laws are laws of general application and that the CCLA and CDA apply on reserve. So we're left to assume that the lack of enforcement has more to do with reconciliation, respect for Indigenous communities, and a desire to see the advancement of Indigenous businesses than it does with jurisdiction. But if reconciliation and the advancement of Indigenous business is the goal, aren't Unity Cannabis and Sugarcane Cannabis, as genuine 100% Indigenous-owned enterprises, companies that should be shown the greatest deference by the province? While the provincial government is largely ignoring many of these unlicensed operators as long as they operate on First Nations land, He says legal businesses face an enormous amount of oversight and legal scrutiny. 
all the energy and effort with respect to compliance and enforcement has been directed at licensed operators, while the province has chosen to do nothing with respect to those who are operating in the grey market, particularly on First Nations land. This isn't a matter of a policy decision. There was a law in place, and it seems relatively clear. The province has simply made operational decisions not to take enforcement action. BC's Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth has also acknowledged this approach. While the province, he explained in 2020, takes the position that BC's Cannabis Act is a law of general application that applies to all of British Columbia, including First Nations land, Farnworth says there is a concern that this interpretation could be tested by actions such as enforcement. With cannabis, like a number of other issues when it comes to First Nations, our view, the province's view, is that, yes, they are laws of general application, said the minister. Just as with some other issues, the First Nations have said, no, these are areas of our jurisdiction, and that's both at the provincial level and at the federal level. Christina Clark, the corporate executive officer for the Songjis Development Corporation, which operates a provincially licensed cannabis retail store on Songjis land, says the issue is complex and often misunderstood by the general public and by those in cannabis indigenous community. Although Clark says she doesn't oppose the different approaches taken by some First Nations at BC in regards to cannabis production and sale, she says that the province's lack of enforcement of their own laws has created an unlevel playing field for First Nations like Songhees that have opted to work within the legal framework. Because of the respect First Nations have for the autonomy of other First Nations, they have the right to take a stand in that way and they have the right to put that forward as their position, but it can damage the business of those of us working in this industry on the regulated side. So we will benefit if those are shut down or made to bring their products into regulatory compliance. It will put us all on an even playing field. And while Clark says she sympathizes with the sovereignty argument, she highlights that there is no court precedent for that when it comes to cannabis. Such approaches, she argues, could actually damage overall sovereignty arguments, something she says she's heard from legal counsel for other First Nations. You can't argue that you were selling cannabis before and so we can do it now. You can't claim that. And if you try to stretch that, you kind of damage the things where you legitimately can claim that. Very interesting perspective. From Stratcan.com and a story by David Brown, this industry continues to change and evolve. <laughs> and let's see if it becomes a more level playing field. The Canadian beverage market continues to be an interesting space, continually growing, different drinks coming to the market, some of them being pretty successful, others kind of fading off into the distance, I guess. Today, we're learning about a new beverage that is coming from the U.S. In fact, it's coming from Boston Beer. Today, I introduce you to Paul Weaver, director and head of cannabis for Boston Beer. When I was first introduced to Paul, I thought that's a real cool title for a gig. It must be a fun job to have. And apparently it's had some impact for Paul. We pick up the conversation just after I've asked him about it. Well, my parents in Mesa, Arizona, don't quite know what to tell their friends in terms of what <laughs> I do, but uh, they're, 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 they're pretty pumped for it because my mother's originally from Boston, so she likes that. I joined the Boston Beer Company last year to lead a cannabis division, a cannabis subsidiary of the Boston Beer Company. And the Boston Beer Company is a is based, of course, out of Boston, but we're most famous for Samuel Adams beer, 
twisted tea, um, truly hard seltzer, angry orchard, some real um, hit makers in the beverage alcohol space. And if you know anything about those brands, they're all very similar in terms of getting in early in the category and helping to kind of drive its success and become kind of quality leaders in the craft beer space and the cooler space and the seltzer space. So we've been tasked with extending that capability, that sensibility into this emerging category of cannabis. And right now, based on our uh, US standing, only permitted to do that in the market of Canada right now. So Canada is our first market for our cannabis operations, but it'll be far from our last. I'm going to assume, and, and sometimes assumptions can be wrong, that you are the head of the cannabis division. Do you have a background in cannabis, Paul? Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I joined first. I'm a first and foremost a beer guy. I started in the beer business with Molson Coors back in 2011, and I worked there for seven years and learned a lot about how the beer industry works and how, what drives passion and quality in the beverage space. And then I joined Canopy Growth Corporation in 2017. Uh, yeah, about a year before legalization in uh, in Canada as their uh, as their head of innovation and their director of innovation. And yeah, learned, did a whole crash course basically on every form factor you can think of. Uh, but beverages absolutely was uh, was a focal point of ours uh, in the innovation space. And bringing those two passions together of cannabis and beer here at Boston Beer Company is really what what led me led me to where I'm at now. So yeah, my background is first in beer, then in cannabis, and now cannabis beer. <laughs> okay. And then personally, do you, you consume cannabis? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm a passionate cannabis consumer. I'm a passionate beer drinker. I think passion is really what drives a lot of our uh, decisions in this space, you know, to be passionate about what you do, what you make, make products that you would want to make or drink on your, on your end. You know, that helps bring a lot of clarity. Yeah, absolutely, it does, and passion is absolutely necessary. I, I wholeheartedly are you agree. A, are you much of a cannabis consumer, Gary? Absolutely, of course, I am. Um, uh, that that's the podcast, the cannabis podcast, started three years ago to recognize the fact that I had been consuming cannabis for five decades, and legalization now happened in our country. I was thrilled about it, and I wanted to promote it and and to be the voice of the legal cannabis world, and and that's kind of what I've been doing. So that's why. I always ask the question because we have had some people on the show that, that don't consume cannabis. They're just in a role where they're promoting it, which I, I honestly say find a bit weird. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like, a, you know, a Martian selling a vacuum cleaner or something, right? <laughs> like if you don't quite get, I think you can tell very quickly if people are passionate about whatever they're you can. selling. You, you or can, absolutely. Making, right? and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, and I think you're not alone. I think we all are pretty evangelical about, about the industry because we see, it is a force for good, you know, like we, and, and we're only just getting started with what we're doing here in Canada worldwide. Yeah. Well, you actually answered, I, I had one of my questions on my list and I think you kind of answered it in your introduction, Paul, where you mentioned that this is Boston Beer's introduction to the cannabis beverages is your entry into the Canadian market. So you have nothing in the States at this point? No. Well, you know, no. Uh, first, no. From the cannabis not, drinks? Okay. Not in the cannabis space. No, we are a beverage alcohol company uh, in the United States. And we have a new cannabis subsidiary based here in Canada, based on our, uh, you know, standing in our uh, as a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange and subject to federal regulations. You know, cannabis for us is is a much more delicate topic than others. And so Canada is unequivocally legal. So we can come to this market and operate um, with crystal clear, crystal, yeah, crystal clear regulations and, and know exactly yeah. how to operate. 
And Good Day Iced Tea, that's your introductory drink that, that you're bringing to the market? That's the first flavor, yeah. So our first brand is called, our, our, our real forte into the cannabis space is called Teapot. And Teapot is a line of, of cannabis-infused iced teas. It, you know, uh, it's all about putting tea and pot together and uh, making a delicious-tasting iced tea. Our first, we call the Good Day Iced Tea, and it's lemon black tea infused with a strain called Pedro's Sweet Sativa, uh, which is grown in Ontario uh, uh, by Color Cannabis, actually. Oh, I was, I was curious if it was Colors. Yeah, we sell a lot of yeah, their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Colors uh, Sweet Sativa, Pedro's Sweet Sativa is, is a fantastic strain. And we paired that with a lemon black tea for a delicious cannabis-infused iced tea that's launching this summer in Canada. Excellent. And so there was no selection process. You just picked Pedro's Sweets. That was going to be the strain that you were going to use? I mean, if you want to know how the sausage is made, Gary, there's a lot that goes into that strain selection. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, have, you tried, have you ever consumed Pedro's? Uh, I have. Yeah, yeah, I have many times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great strain. I'm not sure what you think about it. It's a, uh, it's it's a very nice sativa. It's up front, gives you that euphoria, euphoria that you're looking for and, and yeah, uh, I really mean, enjoy it. The, it has all those benefits. Plus, uh, it's a really efficient flower. The, it's a beautiful strain. It grows really well. It grows in abundance. There's a reason Color Cannabis sells it in so many form factors because it's just really smart to grow that that weed as well. So it's a good strain for us practically, and it's a great strain as a consumer. So it, yeah, that was kind of the decision-making criteria for, for the first, first drink. Okay. I'm um, assuming that the iced teas that you're bringing to market with the teapot brand going to be much like uh, the other beverages in Canada. In, in other words, our cannabinoids are so small that we're going to be absorbing those fairly quickly. Is, is there a, an onset time that, that you think is going to be appropriate for the teapot? We haven't done the clinical PK onset time <laughs> studies to give you clinical data, Gary, but it is uh, a beverage, a cannabis beverage, which inherently is a faster onset time than a traditional edible probably somewhere in between an edible and smoking. You know, a smoking inhalation is going to give you that immediate effect. Edibles are going to have that slow burn. And we're right in the middle, you know, 10, 15 minutes probably is your expected onset time when you start feeling some effects. Um, but it's very different than a lot of the cannabis drinks that are in the Canadian market. Like, um, you know, we are beverage experts and we have a tremendous amount of resources in product development and making things taste amazing. And uh, we also have a really good background specifically with tea, with the Twisted Tea brand. So how to make a really delicious adult iced tea is our bread and butter. So to be able to extend that into cannabis, you know, I can't wait for you to try it, Gary. I've got a, a, can, a can behind you. Sorry. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't wait can't, to try it either. I can't wait for you to try uh, Teapot, <laughs> Good Day Iced Tea. I think you'll be blown away at just how good it tastes. And you'll nice. see just how different it is than the rest of the market. Okay, because I am an iced tea consumer. That is my favorite. Oh my yeah, favorite I'm drinking drink. iced tea right here. I'm drinking it right now. So, what excites you, Paul, about the Canadian market? About bringing Boston beer and and your teapot line here? Well, I mean, we're we're not quite a mature cannabis market yet, Gary, but I think we're starting to see signs of grownups acting responsibly in terms of how we're running our businesses, how we're operating in retail, how the consumer is shopping, and kind of recognizing what's you know what's of value and what's not. It just seems like we're not 2018 anymore, and it's never become more apparent than it is today that this is just a new new world for the industry. I think we've all gone through the trenches, and we're ready to find some, some balance and normalcy. So I think what excites me actually about the Canadian market is just how uh, collaborative it's become. Um, for example, we have, we're not vertically integrated. We have two partners in how we facilitate our R&D in Canada. We have uh, a grower called Entourage Health. They're the ones who grow Pedro Sweet Sativa. 
And then we have a co-manufacturer called Peak Processing. And this kind of spreading the love, spreading the risk, spreading the supply chain is really an indication of how far we've come as an industry since, like I said, since like 2018. Yeah, it sure is. It's, it's pretty exciting to watch the growth and, and just, yeah, it's just astounding sometimes. What, what kind of challenges did face getting here, Paul? Oh, well, I mean, it, you mean in terms of- In terms of, of, of entering the Canadian market, not, not only from entering the Canadian market, but doing so from the U.S.? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that um, Boston Beer, uh, as a company, has accepted cannabis culture with open arms. So, I, you know, I'm not sure how other companies that have subsidiaries that have participated in cannabis have found any sort of culture shock, but it's been really nice to see the support uh, and passion that drives Boston Beer's current brands and, and seeing that extend to cannabis. I would say some of the challenges were just trying to find the right partners, trying to um, set up our business in a way that allowed us to be still be flexible, still be nimble, but um, but still facilitate our R&D. And, you know, making a great tasting cannabis drink is not easy and that the ability to leverage the Health Canada processes to create prototypes and trial and repeat and get tighter and refiner, refining and just really getting it perfect. So, you know, it's not that that's uh, uh, unnecessarily difficult. That's just part of making a great tasting drink. But to find the right partners, find the right um, business model, and then be methodical in how we approach making teapot. Um, yeah, that's that's the main challenge. And you know, so far so good. Excellent. And, and let's hope for more success. So, a good day is is your first entry. You have some other things on on the line that that you're hoping to bring to market. I mean, the thing about teapot is it's all about pairing the right tea in the right pot for the right occasion. We like Pedro's Sweet Sativa as the cannabis for a good day. And so we have good day lemon black iced tea. That's uh, it's a lemon black tea. Uh, we're also working on a mango green tea with Pedro. So putting those two together and that tastes so far, it tastes amazing. We're, we're tightening that up this month, but that's going to, that'll roll out maybe by the end of the year. But what's really exciting is we're, we're taking a little bit more time with a good evening iced tea. And what does a good evening iced tea taste like? What is it? How does it compare to a good day product? We've got a really great um, strain that we like. So we know kind of how we would plan on infusing it. But what's our good evening iced tea going to look and taste like? And, and that's the one that will be really exciting because then we're expanding beyond just a daytime product and introducing something that has some value uh, in the evening time. You're intriguing. I, as, as you said before, I can't wait to get a taste of it. A taste of something. Well, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it moves your needle, Gary. I feel like that's the thing, Paul. I have found I have found a cannabis beverage that I enjoy, but I drink it just because I like it as a beverage, even though it doesn't give me much of a buzz. So I I'm, I'm probably will do the same thing with your Good Day iced tea ones that arise. Great. Well, if you like iced tea, like I said, there's no cannabis taste, no cannabis aroma. Nice. It tastes nice. like really, really good iced tea. Um, and it, with a, the right amount of sweetness, lemon flavor, it's good. It's a great product. I'm intrigued by the product, Paul. Well, I think I think that Gary, that we've got to get you into Windsor, where where we uh, make teapot, and you can try it yourself, and uh, maybe tell some of your listeners, yeah, uh, that that the the hype is real, that the drink is is just as good as 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 promised. Yeah, it it sounds good. So your entry into the Canadian market, you're coming in through Manitoba and Saskatchewan, as I believe. Yeah, starting in the prairies. Um, those are. Fantastic cannabis provinces, very easy to work with uh, and allow us to kind of understand a little bit about uh, what consumers think about teapot, what they like, what they don't like, allow us to tighten it up. And then we'll, we'll expand into the bigger provinces 
uh, throughout the rest of the year and into into next summer. Has the different approach to cannabis in terms of its distribution in each province caused you any particular troubles as you as you bring your product across the border? No. Well, first, we're not bringing anything across the border. We're making it right here in Canada. Absolutely. No, the idea of your product. Sorry. <laughs> and, yeah, the idea. Yeah. Well, no, I think we're, no pun intended, in it for the right reasons. And I think that that message is is being well received by each province that we have a chance to speak with. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's lengthy lead times in terms of making sure you get your paperwork in and make sure you're in for the right product calls. But we have a fantastic distributor in Entourage Health that makes sure that we're filing all the necessary paperwork. So you know, there's, there's paperwork and process, but it's the same as it is in alcohol. So um, really no different. So, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of par for the course, Gary, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's not like, it's not like selling, it's not like we're selling uh, soft drinks. You know, these are regulated products that have government intermediaries. So you have to respect that that is part of the process. Uh, where I was going is the, the fact that it is so unique in each of our provinces of how it is getting distributed. It is, yeah. Very uh, that's got to be a challenge for a company like yours. Uh, Yes and no. Like I uh, again, like I think part of the challenge, as we mentioned earlier, was finding the right partners and um, the partners that have distribution in the provinces that we want to be in. So they already have a path in. They understand uh, those unique individual routes to market. And you know, at the core is still a great tasting drink that's labeled the exact same. So thankfully, like in terms of mass production, we're able to make a consistent product. And then what truck it goes on, or the excise, or which retailers and how they get access to it, that's always going to be in flux. And of course, the industry is changing and, and we, we may see some of that change in, in Canada as well. It's in July. That's when you're when you're coming to... to yeah, the- yeah. You might start seeing it soon uh, in the next few weeks, just as things start to kind of ramp up. But uh, yeah, definitely in July, you'll start seeing some, some teapot in the prairies. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it once it gets to BC. Maybe I can get a hold of somebody who's uh, listening to the uh, podcast and it can grab me some and send me some from my channel. <laughs> yeah, that just like, too. A, like a... Yeah, border run across yeah. the, the provincial yeah. borders. Yeah, exactly. So so that's fabulous. Great story. Thanks for sharing it with us, Paul. And uh, wish you success with the Boston Beer Company as you come on into Canada. Hope that all goes well for you. Oh, thanks, Gary. And I, you know, I appreciate all you're doing for the category. And uh, I can't wait to chat again after you have a chance to actually try Teapot. Yeah, I look forward to that too. So what I'd like to finish up with, Paul, if you don't mind, is my hot seat questions. Just a few short, simple questions to get some perspective on your cannabis experience. Do you have a favorite okay. cultivar? Uh, I really like uh, anything in the tangy world. So okay. sour tangy or anything tangy is always going to um, uh, pique my interest. I love Pedro's in terms of it being an efficient strain for our drinks. But mm-hmm. if you want to know the real answer, Gary, my favorite cultivar is uh, sour tangy. Sour tangy. Have you tried any of the sour tangy infused? In, a, in our beverage? No, just in terms of a product, the sour tangy. And there's some That's sour tangy infused pre rolls out there now. Oh, oh, I see. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, that's a little too hardcore for me. No, just nice 14, 15% sour tangy is just okay. perfect for me. Nice. That's, that's a nice percentage too. I, I appreciate that too. Hard to find. Uh, do you, hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, joints or bong? Joints. Edibles or flour? Uh, well, drinks as an edible. Uh, okay. So drinks, then flour, then edibles. Okay. In your experience, as you travel around, have you noticed different terminology for 3.5 grams? And what would you call 3.5 grams of cannabis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that calling it an eighth has become kind of synonymous with like cool. Like I kind of, I get the way it used to be kind of vibe. But even in the States where they hate the metric system, 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> like they, they, they don't know what a gram even is. They couldn't quantify it, but they're calling it three and a half grams too. So, uh, or, or five grams, you know, I think they're, they're, they're rounding it up even. So, okay. Uh, no, three and a half gram, three and a half gram. Eighth, eighth is over. Okay. Okay. And the reason I asked the question is in Canada, there's a group of people, generally it seems to be east of Ontario, that call it a half quarter. Oh, an eighth? Okay, half instead quarter instead of an eighth. eighth. Okay. I thought, I mean, I've been calling it an eighth. But. I've been calling it an eighth most of my life as well, Paul, so I totally get it. Thanks for your time today. I really appreciate you being on the Cannabis Podcast. We'll leave it there. No, this was great. Thanks for your time, Gary. I had a great time. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to the corner. Go to the corner. Oh, yeah. Go to the corner. Please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, it is the last gift from my daughter-in-law for her driving lessons. <laughs> it's been going on for a while now. And it seemed every time we got together, she had another bit of weed for me, which I really loved. I love her and love the fact that she was so generous with her lessons. But this was it. We finished them up. In fact, she's taking her driving exam, I think just a couple of days from the time I'm recording this Cult of Our Corner. I'll post you what the results of that works. I know we all want to know. <laughs> and this was the last she gave me as we were heading. Oh, as we were heading out for our final run before she does her exam. <sighs> once again, she got this from Kilo Cannabis. And once again, some really fine weed. This is in a really nice glass jar, black glass jar, from Coast Mountain Cannabis. And this is BC Organic Pure Cake Skunk. That's what the buds are looking like. You'll see beside me as I pull up the picture of it, you'll see that it was a full three and a half grams. And as I twirl that butt around, you can see all of the lovely little halic, the, oh, the lovely color that's in there. Let me get my jeweler's loop. I'll reach back and grab that, and here we go. And let's take a look and see what we got for our trichome fields. Oh, very, holy crap. <laughs> it's not very often I pop this up and wow. Oh, trichomes all over the place and and kind of a golden hue because there's lots of amber. Just a sea of amber in there. Wow. Very colorful bud. Lots of red hues in there. Well, let's tell you a little bit about Coast Mountain. 100% certified organic cannabis. Unique to Coast Mountain cannabis, their BC Organic Pure Cake Skunk traces back to the legendary strains of Skunk Number no. 1 and Triangle Kush. To support its strong sativa heritage, BC Organic Pure Cake Skunk has been beautifully balanced with layer cake, a sought-after indica to create a 31% THC indica-dominant hybrid that's bursting with citrus flavors. And I would say that coming out of that char, mm, let me give you the total. The total terpenes, 2.1%. Myrcene's at 1.40%, so definitely indica dominant. Beta-caryophylline at 0.25. Linalool at 0.17. Definitely some citrus and floral notes coming out of that. Mm, 
Really nice. And what are we talking about? The THC? There it is. 31.1%. That's becoming a standard to hit over 30% these days. <laughs> Astounds me how much this industry has changed and how fast it's getting to that stage where 31% becomes our new standard. So this is uh, Indica Dominance from Coast Mountain Cannabis doing some wonderful work and all organic. Of course, the link to the website is back at CannabisPodcast.com. You can check it out for yourself. I am ready. Oh, I forgot to turn the vaporizer on, though. So we'll fix that. That's getting ready to rock. While that is heating up, we can light the joint and see how this tastes. 31.1% THC. And I'm expecting some citrus flavors. Myrcene, beta-caryophylline, linalool, the dominant terpenes. Here it is, Ghost Mountain Pure Cake Skunk. Oh, nice and smooth. I get a few citrus notes inhaling it off the joint. Take a look at the ash. Oh, nice and clear. Nice gray, white ash. Don't see any black in that at all, which considering that they are 100% organic, I would have been very surprised had I seen any of that. But yeah, I love the taste. Picking up some of those citrus notes. Almost everything that Christine got me over the course of her driving lessons was just delicious. <laughs> really expanding my knowledge and and taste bouquet across a whole bunch more products and coast mountain cannabis i love what they're doing this pure cake skunk now skunk because there was a time in my cannabis life where skunky weed was everywhere but it didn't smell like this it smelled skunky and, and i mean really skunky so skunky you'd wonder if there was a skunk in the room with you so i'm not getting those those kind of deep, deep skunky tones off of this. Definitely more citrus. Almost a, a bit of a gas tone as well. So the Crafty Plus is ready. Let's give it a try and see what it tastes like through the vaporizer. Oh, as always. Just so much more taste when you're getting it through the vaporizer. Those citrus notes kind of become a bountiful mouthful of citrus. Now, I'm not sure if it's anything to report, but the joint went out on me because I stopped smoking it. Now, this is when I'm truly in my element. <laughs> in my two-fisted toking stance. <laughs> Joint in the left hand. Vaporizer in the right. And taste meeting somewhere in the middle. So we kind of got where the taste is coming from. And this is when we, oh yeah. 31.1% <laughs> THC. And I can feel those happy eyes sneaking in on me now. Not coming in with a wallop. Coming in with a little, here, here I come. 
Mm. But coming in nonetheless. Mm. There's just so much good weed being grown in BC these days. Right across the country, but especially in BC, there's just so many fabulous growers that are out and around these days creating a bunch of great weed that is such a pleasure to smoke. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And let me just sit in this for a moment as those happy eyes deepen. A little bit of a body rush kicks in. Definitely euphoria. Just, whoa. <laughs> Here, have a little euphoria. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I will. Care to give me a bit more? Mm, this feels like it's going to be a real fun high. Mm-hmm. Good body feeling. Good headstone. Definitely got the happy eyes. Definitely got the euphoria. Moving into a, a bit of a body buzz. Mm. Just a really nice high. I don't think any product that she got me over the course of her driving lessons was a bad one. And it would be dangerous to try to rate them over top of each other. But this definitely stands up with all the rest. Coast Mountain Cannabis, BC Organic, Pure Cake Skunk, their Indica Dominant Hybrid, 31.1% THC, total terps 2.1%, with some beta, with some myrcene, beta caryophylline, linalool, nice citrus tones, and a pretty rounded high. Hmm, I'm liking the Cake Skunk. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And we go to StratCan.com for another quick little story. This about Neptune. Neptune Wellness, the company behind cannabis brands Mood Ring and Pan Hash, intends to divest its Canadian cannabis business in an attempt to rebrand itself as a consumer packaged goods company. The move announced today would include the sale of Neptune's Sherbrooke, Quebec facility and staff layoff. The company says the facility is appraised at $21 million. The move would mean laying off 50% of Neptune's workforce, accounting for over 30% reduction of total payroll costs and an estimated annual cost savings of $5.8 million. Today's decision, while difficult, is a step that is necessary to best position Neptune for long-term success, said Julie Phillips, Neptune's chair of the board, in the company press release. Together with management... The board has worked carefully to explore all possible avenues, and we are confident that the decision to exit the Canadian cannabis sector and realign focus on our consumer goods brands is the best next move for both the company and its shareholders. Neptune managed an array of cannabis products sold under Mood Ring and Pan Hash, with products supplied by cannabis growers across the country, including several micro-cannabis cultivators and producers. With the plant divestiture of its cannabis business, Neptune is renewing its focus on the core brands, Sprout Organics and Biodroga Solutions, that align closely with future consumer trends and show a greater potential for future growth and profitability. And I find that's an interesting story to lead into the next, because here's another company, well, as you just heard, another company leaving the cannabis space. And could perhaps some of that reason be the excessive excise tax 
Here's a story from OkanaganZ.com, this written by John McDonald. Excise taxes collected from the sale of cannabis in British Columbia declined sharply in January 2022 from the holiday month of December 2021, down from 6.2 million to under 4 million. The latest numbers were made public this week by the BC Ministry of Finance as the government collects January's tax money in June. Provincial coffers have benefited recently from strong cannabis sales, with BC's cut of the tax hovering around $6 million for each of the last six months in 2021, first climbing over the $6 million mark in July. Its share from September 2021 was a record-setting $6.5 million from the sale of cannabis and its byproducts. Since legalization in October 2018, the government has collected about $116 million. In the first few months after legal sales began, BC received as its share over $1 million a month before dropping off for most of 2019, going as low as $278,000 for April of that year. About when the pandemic hit in 2020, the remittance of the province from the federal government began to grow steadily as cannabis consumption increased amid a lockdown population. This latest drop in revenue could coincide with the surge last December of the Omicron variant and the brief reintroductions of lockdowns and social bubbles in January. Ministry of Finance Communications Manager Roxanne Kropp said in an email statement, the province's share of the cannabis excise tax is derived from the sale of cannabis from producers to retailers. The combined rate of all federal, provincial, and territorial cannabis-specific duties and taxes will not exceed the higher of $1 per gram, or 10% of a producer's selling price, the statement reads. That rate was set under the 2017 Coordinated Cannabis Taxation Agreement with the federal government where the province receives 75% of revenue from the tax. The money goes into the province's general revenue, although the ministry says it is offset by the cost of running the cannabis monitoring system, plus the need to continue pressuring black market operators. Associated costs to the province from legalization remain, including costs related to licensing, legal services and litigation, enforcement and regulation, the statement reads. Competitive pricing remains critical for the BC Liquor Distribution Branch as it continues to work towards eliminating the illicit cannabis market and developing a broad assortment of products, which helps keep cannabis out of the hands of youth and maintain health and safety standards, the statement continues. Crop said the ministry is unaware of any current plans to change the excise tax at the federal level, something cannabis producers have pushed for in recent months in the face of mounting costs. And why do I think that the governments are not going to drop any excise tax. (laughs) they got to get their share. And let me once again thank all of the supporters of the Cannabis Podcast. I appreciate your support each and every day. Thank you for listening and for your support. And thank you again so much for listening, even if you're not a supporter. I truly appreciate you joining me along for the ride. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear in the Cannabis Podcast, send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. And remember, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support the podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast and you can buy me a doobie. And now we get ready for episode 100 coming next. That's it for episode 99 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley... This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.